Welcome, everyone, to Season 4, Episode 129 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashbika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. And this episode, it's a pretty long-packed episode, but not with a bunch of topics, but seemingly two topics that surrounded the Premier League, or I would honestly say all of European football this past weekend was the Manchester United-Liverpool game. It was actually a weekend filled with a lot of great rivalries. You had Clasico, Manchester United-Liverpool, a bunch of good rivalries, but... The one that kind of stole the show was Manchester United-Liverpool, United hosting Liverpool in an annual Premier Pod derby. Unfortunately, we weren't able to record because I was still out on vacation, but what we saw was Liverpool thrashing Manchester United 5-0 at home. And once that happened, there were a ton of questions and a ton of question marks pointed at Manchester United, rightfully so, um, on the management of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, whether he is the right man to lead Manchester United to a title and whether his time is up at United. And there were just so many circling questions surrounding him and then the managerial rumors right after that. So we are pretty chock-filled with a bunch of topics about that specific issue. But also, um, I guess bringing it back real quickly, the game, I'm sure you all saw the highlights. Liverpool essentially thrashed Manchester United 5-0. Um, Mohamed Salah scored a hat-trick. What's interesting there is that he is the second player since the original Ronaldo, Ronaldo Nozario, that played for Real Madrid, the OG R9, to score a hat-trick at Old Trafford. So that's just wild that Mohamed Salah is the first one to do it since R9, did it way back in 2003 with Real Madrid in the Champions League. So that was a huge record for Salah. He scored in, I think, 10 straight games now. You know, putting his case for winning Ballon d'Or, like he's been incredible this season, but United were completely dominated. They had no chance. They were getting outrun in the midfield, couldn't complete passes. The press or whatever game plan that Solskjaer put out was very odd there was not it didn't seem like it was very uniform you had certain players pressing while certain players were staying back Maguire and Shaw running into each other everyone was just out of sorts it was just kind of uh you know Jurgen Klopp just totally out masterminding Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and any and any plan that he could have thought of so it was a terrible day in the office for United I'm not going to go too deep to rub salt in the wounds because <laughs> it was, not going to lie, a very great weekend if you're a Liverpool fan. <laughs> Seeing that result, it was like a dream. Because like you literally just wake up and it's like, all right, time to watch this game to see how it goes. And then the first few minutes, you know, United get that early chance of Bruno Fernandes. It's like, all right, this is going to be kind of tough. And then all of a sudden, by halftime, it's 4-0 to Liverpool. So that was crazy in itself because it felt like in terms of results, to kind of give you an idea of how big of an uh, upset this is, 5-0 hasn't happened between Liverpool versus Manchester United since like 1925. So like this result is, is historical. And I think the worst result ever in history was like in 1890-something. <laughs> so for this to go all the way back almost 100 years in terms of this being such like a big blowout kind of puts to show how much pressure is on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer right now? Like a lot of people are like, if if he's not out of the management job by the end of this weekend after that result, is like, what are United doing? Like, th- literally, this is embarrassing. <laughs> and to the point where even in the game, I felt like Liverpool were at a home at times the way they were playing. Like it felt like Manchester United came out with a tactic where they were just eleven men on the field, not really knowing what to do, and then they're just kind of relying on the talents of all the players individually to try to get results. Whereas Liverpool, like they came out looking like they had a whole game plan. They're all kind of uniform, had an identity, all rearing to go. 
and they came back after like a slow start and they're just basically like on a hundred percent the entire game. So I don't know. Yes. It was kind of rough to see because it was so one sided. Like I saw like the exodus of Man U fans yeah. at halftime, which was insane. That just never like, happens. Mm-hmm. Like you don't usually see that many people leave unless it's like a UGA versus like random small college <laughs> where it's like, all right, we're already destroying like 35 to zero at halftime. It's like we can just go home. But like for this, this is one of the biggest rivalries in all of Europe. Yeah. And by halftime, we already saw so many people leaving. Did you stay the whole game? <laughs> I, I did watch the whole game. It was just one of those, like, I remember when the second goal went in, I was like, come on, man. And then, like, once the fourth one went in, I was like, I knew the game was lost, but I was just like, I've seen, the thing is, like, since I started watching United, I've actually seen a fair amount of results that have actually ended up like this. Um because I've caught United at like the worst time of their like I guess club existence, but I remember there were results like this with Jose Mourinho, with Louis Van Hall. We had a couple of really bad results against big teams, and with Solskjaer, we had the thrashing against Spurs at home last season. Um, we had a couple of bad results against Everton before the Leicester game was kind of like in the same ilk of it's just like you just kind of feel like dejected because the game is gone and all you see is your players making mistakes. No one's really playing as a team everyone's just kind of doing their own thing trying to figure out like what to do on their own uh players just kind of being left on islands to defend and it it was just uh it was sad display and i know um in the game when pogba got the red card and essentially when united went down to 10 men liverpool essentially just stopped playing they just were just kicking the ball around like it was practice and i you know Kudos to them because they honestly, if they went hardcore, they probably could have made this 7-0, 8-0, honestly, or maybe even make it to 9-0 because, I mean, anything Liverpool threw at them attacking-wise, like Manchester United could not defend. And I think, you know, whoever decided to play the mercy card, whether that was Klopp telling them to like cool off or like the players themselves just playing mercy on them on United players. But um, yeah, if if they went still gung-ho, they probably could have at least scored a two or three extra goals. Um, but luckily, I guess for United States, they just like pulled the brakes uh, or they put their foot on the brake a little bit just to like kick the ball around. And United players just essentially were like, okay, if you're going to do that, we'll just give you the game. We're just not going to try to press you. Cause I think that's ended up what happened the last 30 minutes. United players sat back, didn't really try to go for the ball. Liverpool players were like, okay, we'll just kick the ball around and, you know, call it a game, like, call it a game. So, I mean, that's what it was. that, I feel like Liverpool at times after that Pogba red card, after injuring Keita, which luckily Keita, he only just suffered a very heavy bruise. Like Keita historically also has been kind of injury prone and then having Pogba do a cleat foot, like cleat first tackle into his ankle. That was kind of rough to see. I got scared because Keita, he's just coming back from like long term injury and also just finding his form again. And he's been scoring pretty early on, like getting those clutch goals in the past few games as well. So it's like, oh, he's finally kind of living up to that 50 million pound transfer mm-hmm. from RB Leipzig finally. And then he's like, oh, I got injured. <laughs> but he's he'll, he'll be back pretty soon. That luckily it wasn't too bad. And I think that red card kind of showed the frustration from the Manchester United players because not only did Pogba do like a rash tackle like that, even after being subbed in a halftime, but, you know, right before that, Ronaldo kicked out at Curtis Jones when Curtis Jones was on the floor and then he he basically kicked the ball into Curtis Jones's stomach while he was on the ground. And luckily, Ronaldo didn't kick Curtis Jones and instead kicked the ball because that would have been a straight red for sure. But that was also very, like, very un-Ronaldo-like 
from his current age, I feel like. Like, I feel like that's something you might have seen from early Ronaldo, like young Ronaldo. But I thought he'd be a little bit more mature now from doing kind of silly things like that, kind of losing his temper. But <laughs> like that was in the 43rd minute. And yeah. I'm like, I was going to The game was already 4-0 at that point, I think. Or yeah, so the game was and Ronaldo's, lost. He was having a rough game, too. He scored one goal, but it was deemed offside. It's actually a pretty good goal. Like it was a pretty good goal. I was like, oh, maybe it's coming back. But it was it was just one of those days where nothing was going right. Mm-hmm. So like not only did the frustrations from the players pop up, but like just nothing was going their way in terms of calls. Uh, all their shots were just parried or saved by Ali Sun. He was having the game of his life as well. And then even the one time Robertson, the Liverpool left back, almost tapped in an own goal. It hit off the crossbar. <laughs> So I was like, man, even <laughs> even when things almost get kind of lucky for United, it doesn't go their way. So on top of that, like after, like you mentioned, Liverpool kind of put the brakes on. I don't know about that because they subbed on Mane. And that I was is like, true. Hmm. I guess like I guess from a I guess I was like so dejected from the game that I was like, all right, if as long as like they're not like going into our half consistently. Call it a game. I think the announcers <laughs> alluded to that. I think Lee Dixon, I guess if you were listening to the States, he just basically said it looks like they kind of come to an agreement where Liverpool will just, I guess in the last 15 minutes at least, like Liverpool will just kick the ball around and United will just back off and not do anything. Um, but, I mean, I did see that where Mane did have a couple of chances where he could have scored, but uh, it was... Uh, it was it, it was just a bad game. <laughs> it, was it was a really bad game. <laughs> it was a bad game for United, a great game for Liverpool. <laughs> and I don't want to I don't want to go too deep into it because I know it's it was a tough one to watch for Yes, especially. Yeah, game but, was lost in two minutes. Like <laughs> was lost in two minutes. Like the I I I guess I wanted to quickly I guess this will kind of be like you know kind of like the soul rent, but I, I wanted to get at that just like. A little bit soon, but I guess I'll, I'll talk about it in, in a, just in a tad bit to some of the big mistakes that happened in that game. But mm-hmm. you you wanted uh, you were mentioning something real quickly about Liverpool. Oh. I mean, I also wanted to like just mention just in terms of just tactics themselves. It's, um, it was kind of interesting to see that certain players started that I wasn't expecting. Like Konate started as center back yeah. for this game as well, which is one of his first starts for the team and it was against Manchester United which was pretty crazy it's like all right you're gonna be shutting down Ronaldo this game it's like all right it's like <laughs> not Joe Gomez not Joel Matip yeah there's not any lingering injuries for either of those two latter players that usually would see a start in this kind of game so you're gonna get thrown in gets a clean sheet that was a big result to see and Konate had a really good game there's one meme picture of you know Fred trying to like I don't know, muscle him out or something. And Konate being six foot four and Fred being like five, seven, it just looked goofy <laughs> and kind of showed how physically gifted like this player is. It's like, all right, if he can actually get those technical skills down and like kind of learn the system, then having Van Dyke and Konate, that's going to be some big questions to ask for who will, you know, start for this Liverpool defense, because usually it would be, you know, Matip or Gomez. But, you know, there's been times when you've seen kind of holes in either of those two. But if Konate can kind of be that player that Klopp's looking for, then it's going to be an even better defense than maybe what we've seen in the past. But I also wanted to mention Diogo Jota started over Mane. And that was also kind of surprising too, because you would think it'd be, you know, maybe Firmino, Salamane or Jota, Salamane. It's always the two wingers getting those positions for sure. But that was a big change that actually helped in the result as well, because you know Jota ultimately got a goal 
and ultimately also set up uh, one of the first goals as well. So these are kind of some big swings that ended up kind of working out. And that was just kind of something that I wanted to mention that was kind of interesting to me because that could kind of show that, you know, Liverpool is kind of unpredictable at times in terms of what Klopp's going to put out there. And it'll be interesting to see how they kind of develop these certain players. Like, will Jota get a little bit more starts in these kind of big games? And will Kanate kind of solidify that kind of starting position? Or will it still be kind of be like a merry-go-round <laughs> musical chairs of who's going to be Van Dyke's partner for yeah. the season? So. No, it, it was interesting. I I guess before I, I go to United, I thought like Liverpool. What was interesting is like obviously Salah is like the hottest player in the world right now. Um, I don't think I don't think there's another player right now that's in his type of form. I thought maybe Benzema, but he kind of cooled off a little bit. But mm-hmm. Salah is kind of in another world right now with the amount of goals he's scoring and just it seems like anything he shoots just goes into the back of the net, no matter how unpredictable the chance is. But um, I know Firmino had a pretty good game because there were times where. I think it was like Victor Lindelof or Harry Maguire. They would try to get the ball from Firmino, but then they would get sucked in from him. And like Firmino's really good at keeping the ball with his feet because he's really skillful and like really good at dribbling. That, you know, the Manchester United center back is so dragged out of play. So that leaves room for Salah and Jota to just exploit it. Um, so I thought Liverpool did a really good job with that. But, you know, in general, it was crazy because I, I know like Manchester United in the beginning, they were trying to play like a lot of switching like long balls to kind of. I isolate the Liverpool fullbacks, but in general, like they were able to do that just maybe a couple times. But after that, it just seemed like whenever Liverpool had the ball, they always knew where they had an extra player to pass to. They always knew they had an outlet. And I think for Manchester United, whenever they had the ball, it was kind of panic mode of like, who do I pass it to? Like there was not really someone that was there that they knew that was going to be there so they could pass to like Liverpool. They knew they could, they were essentially forming triangles all over the pitch, wherever they had the ball. They just knew that they could pass here, here, here. And because of that, I mean, that's why they were able to just dominate uh, Manchester United completely. They just had players everywhere and always had an outlet, always had an option. And it just overloaded Manchester United. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that kind of positionless kind of football that we've been seeing from Liverpool in this game really confused Manchester United because there's one screenshot or like snapshot of the game that I saw where it was like Robertson, Salah, and I think Keita all on like one side kind of running down. And then it showed where they were. And then it showed who was trying to mark them. And it was just like five Manchester United players. Yeah. But it was like... And it looked like, like a completely right side, like open. Yeah. The and right. then it was just like all the most random players. It'd be like McTominay, Fred... Uh, Maguire just all clumped up together because like they don't know who who was supposed to get who and then yeah. it was just like I was like what is going on it's yeah. been you know two years and I feel like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at times he still has these games where it's like players didn't really know what to do yeah they're like and, and I guess <laughs> do you got him you got him I don't know <laughs> I guess like that's like a good time I guess the you know I guess go into Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and I think that's been the biggest problem of his tenure. There's been a lot of question marks, you know, from United fans and from outside people that, hey, like, is this guy actually capable enough of managing a club like Manchester United? I will say this. Uh, I've never, you you know, you can listen back to old podcast episodes. I mean, we literally were doing this podcast when Jose Mourinho was in his final stint and I was going on rants every single episode about how bad the team is. And then when Solskjaer came in as an interim and we were winning games, like just in a good mood, I don't think 
when I look back at like the episodes, I don't ever remember being like completely ole in and completely ole out. I know the question's been asked before. I've always been the person like, hey, let's just back the manager. It's called, you know, it's going to be, you know, tough to rebuild after all the toxicity that was at the club. And I think this is where like a lot of Manchester United fans and just a lot of people in general are getting kind of the, I guess, confused narrative. Because I would like to say this. I think you can look at it in two ways. You can admire the fact that Solskjaer has come in and done a really good job of stabilizing the club, bringing in a lot of good players and essentially building a squad that is capable of winning things. But you can also admit that maybe, you know, the cracks are showing and that he's not going to be the guy that's going to lead them to glory like Sir Alex Ferguson was. And I think you can admit those two, but I think a lot of people were like, now that Solskjaer is like losing and not really succeeding, they're like, oh, this guy, like, that's immediately the narrative they want to jump to is like, this guy was awful for Manchester United. He was like one of the worst managers ever. Yeah. Tactically, like it just, you know, his first team coaches, a lot of them are like first time coaches or this is like their big first job. Um, so it's show it's like showing compared when you play, you know, managers like Jurgen Klopp, Thomas Tuchel, um, you know, Pep Guardiola managers that have been there and done that and have elite assistant coaches for Manchester United, they don't have that. And I think it's really showing, but I would like to point that out. I think, you know, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge that Solskjaer has done a really good job of building a really good team. But I guess for me now that game was like the huge turning point of like, okay, unfortunately, I just don't think Solskjaer is the right man to lead them anymore. So I'm basically saying I'm only out, but like the thing is the board has not done anything to, um, I guess, make a move of firing the coach. Cause it's just, crazy that you can have a manager that lost five nil to their biggest rivals and it's not even it was a close game and we got you know it was nil nil for like 60 minutes a player gets sent off and all of a sudden like it's like liverpool versus man city way back in the day when it was you know one one money gets the red card and city just go on to win five one or something like that this was liverpool dominated manchester united from the opening minute to the last minute and there were so many open cracks in the team where the team literally was playing it essentially looked like they were just all individuals and Solskjaer was just like, okay, Bruno Fernandez, like Bruno Fernandez is out there pressing on his own. And by doing that, he leaves so much space for Fred and McTominay. It's like Fred and McTominay have a game plan, but then Marcus Rashford, Mason Greenwood, Ronaldo, and Bruno Fernandez have a separate game plan. And then essentially Maguire, Shaw, Aaron Wambisaka, and Lindelof all have to do one thing. And then you just, you just expect David De Gea to make like 500 million saves to keep everyone in the game. There was no cohesiveness and from opening to the end, they were completely dominated. The cracks were there. And to be honest, the cracks have been there all season. I mean, apart from the Leeds United game that United won five, I believe five, one in the opening match of the season, the literally the next, like the rest of the season, we've been so easily um, exploited on the counterattack. It's as simple as a team plays one or two through balls or one or two passes and they're in. Every single game we play, we're that open on the counterattack and that open defensively. And to me, that just kind of is a bit mind-boggling because last season, yeah, at times we were, you know, inconsistent um, at certain times, but we were never that open in terms of like players could just easily pass, you know, make a couple passes and boom, they're already into the defense. I don't know what's been going on at Manchester United this season. I don't know if it's the uh, introduction of Cristiano Ronaldo and the fact that you know, last season, Bruno Fernandez had the freedom to kind of press or do whatever he wants because he had the likes of Martial and Edison Cavani playing up top that would track back and at least do some more of the off the ball work to just make up for Bruno Fernandez doing what he wants. But this season, 
it's just, you know, the floodgates are open every single game. It's like the first minute of the game, you can expect their, the team to have um, a huge amount of chances. And there was actually some defensive statistics. United rank, um, in, in terms of the Premier League, they rank like bottom, literally in the bottom four of like almost every major defensive statistic. Statistic, try saying that uh, really fast. Statistic in the Premier League in terms of goals conceded, chances, um, you know, con- chances conceded, big chances allowed, pretty much everything, defensive errors, like everything you can think of. United are in the bottom half or literally at the bottom four of every major defensive um, statistic. And there's just no way you can win any type of trophy playing like that. Because, yeah, you can get lucky in the Champions League every now and again to get a major comeback. But to do that consistently for 36 games, that's just not that's not possible. You've never seen anybody win the league playing, you know, completely off vibes or completely off just comebacks. That's just not possible. And I remember last season, everyone was pointing to the fact that, hey, we are we finished second in the league. We are playing well. We are winning a ton of games. But all those games that we kept winning, they were just never like confident 3-0 wins. It was always we go down 1-0 and we have to make a quick comeback to make it 3-1. Or we go down 2-1 and we have to make a comeback to make it 3-2. It was never a full 90-minute display of just complete performances. And that's been the biggest mark on Solskjaer. It's always... He's just... Um, I guess the media narrative is like Solskjaer just relies on his individuals to carry him, like Bruno Fernandez, Marcus Rashford, uh, Mason Greenwood. Let the like Paul Pogba, Cristiano Ronaldo, can those individuals make enough big plays to essentially win them the game? It's never a full-on team display that you see of Thomas Tuchel, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, um, and even like David Moyes and all those other teams that have proper managers, Brendan Rodgers, where it's an entire team display. They're not relying on just one player to do everything for the team. And it's just, uh, it's unfortunate. I, I, you know, I was rooting for Solskjaer. I really hope like, you know, he could have been the guy to lead them back to glory. But like I said, I think it's okay to admit that, hey, he has done a really, really good job of taking them to from where they were under Mourinho to where they are now. But it's also time to admit that this guy just isn't good enough tactically and just good enough managerially to lead them to the glory that they want to get back to, which is winning trophies, winning titles, um, and being consistently good. Um, and I think Gary Neville said, uh, a good phrase, um, a couple weeks back. And he said that Solskjaer at his worst, if like the worst thing you view, so like the worst thing we view Solskjaer's time at Manchester United is a bridge from, I guess, a dark period at the club under Jose Mourinho to now. He said that's totally fine. And if if the good period comes where he wins trophies, that's fine too. But I think it's okay to admit that, hey, you know, he was a good bridge to where they are now. But I think it's time to like move on, find a better manager or find a proven manager that can get the most out of the squad. Because it's too talented to not... To, it's literally too talented to be in eighth place right now in the Premier League. Come on. Like with mm-hmm. all the players they have, like it's... That's just not... You, you can't... Like with all those players, like that's just... That's that's not good. That's not very good. Yeah, you just texted me over the weekend. He's like, man, it's just... It's so hard being a Manchester United fan. <laughs> it's just... You, know, you just hope next year it'll be it. But I'm like, man, you guys have so many... Sh- good players so many so much talent just on the on the rosters like you can't afford to wait till next year it's like you got to win now it's like Ronaldo's not going to waste his one of his you know last years in his career just being like all right I guess we're rebuild for next year yeah get ready for next year but you know all I got in Sochar he's been like the sort of like as you mentioned like a bridge for a long time like when he came in he was an interim manager 
Yeah. And then he's doing all right. And it's like, all right, I guess they'll just keep him since he was getting some decent results. They're getting to, you know, Europa League finals, qualifying for Champions League, things like that. So it's like, you know, he was doing the job as a really good substitute coach as like basically is what he is. Is not he was not really like picked out for it. he's just kind of there at the right time right place yeah and then for a lot of the players that he's kind of brought up to be you know his assistant coaches like Michael Carrick it's it is really like their first rodeo it's like they didn't really know what they're doing it looks like because it's like yeah this is their first time doing it yeah it's like they didn't really know how to set up tactically for certain teams because like they really <laughs> haven't experienced it before yeah so like, yeah they played in these big competitions and these certain matches and matchups and rivalries themselves as players. Yeah. They, you gotta, you like, know, you gotta earn like, you gotta get like, you know, you have to get co- like coaching. Like we see it in every sport just because you're a famous player, like Thierry Henry legendary player. doesn't mean like it equates to you being a good manager. You know, you really have to develop and, you know, learn the, learn the traits from like top managers to become a good one. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to translate your own criticisms and your own kind of ideals and tactics and your thought process to other players. Cause like, you know, when you tell someone like kind of more basically, it's like if you tell someone like a certain sentence, like a certain idea, they can probably interpret it a different way. It's just like, how well can you kind of say what you want to say and, you know, hopefully have them interpret what you mean. (laughs) And I think for Oligan and Sochart, he might not be doing a great job (laughs) because just based on this past game and even this, the season itself, they really rode the high of having Ronaldo at the very beginning of the season. And there's a lot of hope. Like I was even saying, it's like, you know, I think they're going to be challenging for the title. Like they literally look like they're shot out of a cannon. Everyone's raring to go. And they, this is the best squad I've seen Manchester United have in terms of just set players for this past decade, I feel like. And then ever since then, they've just been on decline. And as yesterday's been saying, it just looks like 11 players just all trying to be who they are in terms of just talent and just riding talent to hopefully get results instead of being a good solidified unit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't really get results consistently if you're just relying on 11 good players. And it's a really rare occurrence to even have 11 good players like that. Like usually you wouldn't see something like that unless it was like a Barcelona side from, you know, 2011 or like Real Madrid back in the days where like almost every position is a superstar. Yeah. And if we're like Liverpool right now in Manchester City, you kind of see that right now where it's like almost every position is a superstar. Yeah. But with that, it also comes with a good manager because like, you know, there is times when you would see a team like that, like Manchester United right now, it's like they have all the right tools, but it's just not the right, you know, leader to kind of bring yeah. the most out of them. Even Chelsea so, last season when they had Lampard, when they were yeah, like, exactly they had, like, the, they had like the huge transfer window and then Lampard was struggling for like a good majority even, of the season. And he didn't even realize how good this Chelsea side was until Tuchel came in. Yeah, and like got the like, most out of it. Because, mm-hmm, like, even I was expecting, I think, yes, we kind of mentioned it last season, where it's like, you know, they're, the Chelsea goal was just to hopefully qualify for Champions League under Lampard. It was like his second year as a yeah. manager ever. And then also, or I guess second year as manager at Chelsea. He was a Derby for a little bit, but... yeah. In terms of like a big, big club, like that yeah, was a second time. like first year, yeah, like pretty yeah. much. So for having Tuchel come in and kind of show, it's like, no, this is actually a yeah, legit He won the Champions squad. League, which is like, I never, I never thought that squad could win the Champions League. I never yeah, thought. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> That's not fair. Literally all these teams like Liverpool had to like develop for like years, kind of bringing the right players and then all that. And then Tuchel comes in half a season. It's like, all right, 
<laughs> Deuce. <laughs> we're gonna beat Man City also. A team that's been building yeah, for this Real moment Madrid for years. too, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel like for Manchester United, you know, this is gonna be the next topic we'll go into, but I think, you know, Yosh has been a very good kind of neutral fan in terms of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's he's kind of ranted on about, you know, the, the office, the directors and all that. And it's usually those are the problem. But now it really, I feel like, is on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And they need a new manager that can kind of cope with all these stars and all these egos and kind of bring in some solidity and some identity to the team instead of just kind of bringing out the most of the players individually. They need some kind of way to kind of cohesively play together. And mm-hmm. that will require a manager that's kind of been in the situation before and knows what to do. So that's the interesting part. That's what we're going into next. But it's kind of goofy at the same time where they haven't fired Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yet. Yeah. It's currently, you know, Thursday, October 28th. And the game happened this past weekend. And he still has a job. And yeah. they know they're going to let him go. It's kind of like the Steve Bruce situation. Where it's like, you know, he's going to leave, but we're, we're going to let him stay until we do find the next player or the next coach because... Ultimately, if you let go of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it's just another interim manager going to come in and give you the same story. Michael Carrick. Yeah, Michael Carrick. So I think right now they're just kind of holding on to him just because they're like, all right, we don't need a, a second interim manager. We just need the actual next manager to come yeah. in and then take over. So it, it kind of sucks for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just because yeah. he knows he's going to get the boot. He's going to get the axe. Yeah. It's just like he knows that next manager is going to take his job and probably do a better job, unfortunately, mm-hmm. which kind of sucks <laughs> in his mind, like kind of mentally. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's done a decent job, like being said, all things considered, because he's, yeah, you know, I mean, he's got him like the third and then the second place, uh, mm-hmm. consistent champions league spots. But, you know, when it's come to, I guess, crossing that line to winning a trophy or, you know, getting into the final, it's just, it's always come up flat and short. And I always thought, you know, maybe it's, you know, not the right squad yet, or maybe it's just a building block, but maybe it really just was like, if there was a different manager there, maybe they do win the Europa League final. Maybe they do qualify for like the FA Cup final, you know, or maybe we're still in the EFL Cup competition and that, you know, we don't get knocked out by West Ham in the first round. So, I thought it was interesting. There was like a couple reports actually. Obviously, when all the disasters going on, there's going to be a lot of media outlets that are going to try to chime in and like, you know, get the clickbait of like, oh, everything's disaster. But there was an article written by The Athletic a couple of weeks ago how one of the Oligon Solskjaer's top assistants, his name is Kieran McKenna. Um, and it's like assistant Solskjaer has had, I believe, since his days at Mold and also um, Cardiff when he was a manager. And there was apparently like a lot of reports from the athletic and athletic is a really reputable source when it comes to like sports journalism. And there was a report that apparently a lot of first team players, um, kind of had the, um, essentially said that they like, they like Solskjaer, but I'll say this, they, they're left dissatisfied with some of the first team training sessions with Kieran McKenna. They felt like it's not very advanced enough and they felt like it's not very challenging. It's a little too easy. Uh, but not very like challenging in terms of like, you know, being very tactical and, you know, really putting them making sure they're set up correctly. And there was also the report in the athletic that um, a lot of players, they do like Solskjaer, but they, I guess, internally feel in themselves that they feel like he's not the right guy to lead them to glory in, in a sense where they like him because he's a player's manager, um, you know, good buddies, but he's not really the guy that will take them further. And there was a bunch of reports going around this entire season about that. And I think, you know, this past week has been really heightened. Um, but I think that's definitely a big case because 
you know, if you have first team players essentially coming into training and not getting challenged enough, then that obviously means that when it comes time to game time, other managers are going to exploit that. Or if they are performing training sessions and the first team players are feeling like this is just like, you know, elementary, like, you know, Bush league stuff, then of course they're going to get caught out. And I think that's been the problem as well as the quality of coaching when they're getting into training each and every day has not been there. Um, because when you have first team players basically saying that it's not challenging enough, then, you know, you kind of have a big problem right there. I, I can't even imagine that. It's like, imagine, you know, you come from all the academies from Manchester United, from like Ajax and, you know, all the academies across Europe and you go to Manchester United first team and then the training is not as intense as what you grew <laughs> up with. It's like, what are we doing? Yeah. It's like you gotta have to prepare and kind of mentally and tactically prepare for whoever you're facing in terms of like the level of intensity. So like, you know, a, a Norwich City match is not gonna be the same intensity as say, you know, a Liverpool match. And if <laughs> every training is the same, kind of just <laughs> like lexicdaisical, I can't imagine how difficult it would be also for them to kind of get into the mindset of just like, all right, we're going into a big game this weekend. All right, let's do keep ways. <laughs> like, I don't know. I can't even imagine that. So yeah, and there was there was also a. Um, I guess I'll I'll list out some of the internal reports I remember, but there was also one during Leicester City, the Leicester City game. Harry Maguire was actually you know he got injured in the Aston Villa game, so he has been out for a couple of weeks. But he was deemed, yeah, I guess fit to play for the Leicester City game, but he was still basically had no game time yet, was still really recovering and he looked really rusty. And apparently Eric Bailly, after the game, challenged Solskjaer and asked, like, why like why did you play him when he's not even a fit center back? Like, why didn't you play me? And there has been a lot of reports that I've been seeing of Solskjaer playing favorites with certain players and being um, that he doesn't drop them. Um, players like Harry Maguire, maybe Bruno Fernandez, and a couple others of that ilk where if they are, like, essentially out of form, he doesn't drop them. And I think that's been the case this season. And I know, um, you know, Solskjaer, essentially, he wanted to have a big squad, but he never plays the likes of Donny van de Beek, Jesse Lingard, Eric Bailly, Alex Telles. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of players that have essentially been outcasted and not been able to get in the starting 11 no matter what's happened. Even with the Harry Maguire in injury, Rafael Varane injury, or even with um, out of form Luke Shaw, you know, out of form players at, at every position, certain players just cannot get a hand or get a chance to get into the starting 11. And I know because of that, a lot of players have been disgruntled because they're like, they're seeing players that are out of form continue to play while there have been, per uh, there was reports that a lot of players have been impressed with Donny van de Beek in training and saying he's been really good, but he never plays. So I think uh, some of those problems that Frank Lampard was having where when he was there, he didn't play the likes of Rudiger, Marcus Alonso, was playing Conte out of position, was playing a lot of players out of positions or essentially playing favorites. Um, and we saw that when Thomas Tuchel took over, he basically wiped the slate clean and like all the players that are playing now, essentially a lot of them didn't get a chance or get, didn't get any light under Frank Lampard. And we saw how good they are under Tuchel. So there's been a lot of reports of that ilk coming around Manchester United where Solskjaer has played like favorites to certain players and not really dropped them if anything goes wrong. Mm -hmm. We've even hinted at that too, where it's like, where is Donny van de Beek? <laughs> like, Y'all bought him and it's like you rarely play him. And there's like a joke on FIFA where there is like a hero card of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on the game where if you have any kind of Premier League player 
on the team, he'll get like a strong link. And then people are like, this game's so unrealistic. Look at this. And then they put Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Donny Vanovic in the same team. And then there'd be a green strong link between them. <laughs> when clearly it's like Ole does not like him for some yeah. whatever reason. It doesn't make sense. He's a good player. Like why? Like everyone, all of our other midfielders are out of form. Why not play him and see what he can do? Like same with Jesse Lingard. When he's come on, he's looked really good and he's looked mm-hmm. like a player that wants to play, you know, playing like playing for the badge. It just doesn't play him. I don't get he's it. He's literally Messi Lingard. He doesn't even play Messi Lingard. He has to play Bruno Fernandes, which <laughs> honestly not the worst player to play instead. But yeah, I mean, you got to play to the form of the players too. And mm-hmm. I feel like at the same time, Ole Gunnar is not like a reputable manager that has like a big enough, you know, ego to also kind of overcome some of the yeah, that's true. Our power of his players, where it's like his players almost are kind of bigger than him at times, like Pogba. <laughs> like like he benched Pogba at times, but like there's no way you're ever going to see him bench Ronaldo or even Bruno Fernandez at times. Yeah. And then like Rashford also kind of just goes straight in. Yeah. So came back from an injury and has just gone straight in. I mean, granted, like Rashford has looked pretty good, but it's like, you know, the man just came back from injury and like you're mm-hmm. already just throwing him back into the lineup. Yeah, it's not like a gentle, all right, you get subbed in at halftime and then you can play the second half. It's like, yeah. now you're starting. You're like, and then like Sancho, I mean, he's, where's he? <laughs> it's like, there's already certain players where I'm like already questioning where. I, I mean, feel it's like the same with like Kai Havertz. I remember last season, everyone was buzzing about Kai Havertz and then he barely played or he looked like, he just looked lost. Same with Timo Werner last season. And we were like, why is Frank Lampard never playing them? Or like, why do they look so bad whenever Frank Lampard plays them? Could be the manager. This is not getting the most the out of them. Not so, maximizing their talents. Donny Van de Beek better play soon. Otherwise, Newcastle is going to pick him up at this rate. <sighs> I want to see him thrive at Manchester United. It's just he never plays. And I guess that brings us on to like our next topic of like who should be like the next head coach or the next manager. And there were strong links um, earlier this week that Antonio Conte, the former Chelsea boss, former Inter Milan boss and Juventus boss, um, was the favorite. And like, there's a lot of reports saying that Conte is very keen. Um, he doesn't really join squads midway through the season. He doesn't like doing that, but he said he'd make an exception for this United squad because of the talent they have. And he said that he could like see himself thriving and, you know, being really successful with the squad because it's already, it's made to win. Like it's all the pieces are there. It's just like, who you got to get someone to get in there. And I thought there was a interesting, um, a topic or discussion that was brought up at my workplace where um, someone brought up that a lot of United fans like myself have said that they need a proper center defensive midfielder um, to kind of elevate the squad to take them to the next level, like a Fabinho S player. Um, but he also said that um, they also mentioned that they like Fred and McTominay, where they kind of related this back to Chelsea, where before Tuchel, Everyone said Andreas Christensen and Antonio Rudiger were awful center backs. You know, they need to be sold off. They're not very good. But when Thomas Tuchel came, played a back three, you kind of saw the transformation of a player like Rudiger, who's now almost a solidified starting 11 player for Chelsea. And has honestly played himself so well that he's got himself back in the German national team and potentially a move away to even a bigger club like Bayern Munich or Real Madrid have been linked to him. And they were saying that maybe... Um, Fred and McTominay, they look really bad right now under Solskjaer because Solskjaer is not playing them to maximize their strengths. Maybe if another manager comes in, maybe he can find a way to get the maximized effort of McTominay and Fred. And essentially, by doing that, you master deficiencies. Because essentially, every player has a deficiency unless you're Messi, Ronaldo. You know, those players are just out of the world, you know, 
very one in the one in the one of a kind player. But most players have a weakness that they don't want to get exploited. But a good manager comes in and, and will try their best to make the team um, or set up the team where that player won't get exploited for their weakness. That's what a good manager, a good coach does. And unfortunately, Oligona Solskjaer has kind of left some of his players out to dry in a sense where he's not really masking their weakness. In a sense, he's not masking it, but he's instead essentially heightening their weakness and making it more exploitable for teams uh, to, I guess, exploit. But if a proper manager comes in like Antonio Conte, he's not going to let that happen because everywhere he's been, he's been successful and he'll come in and he'll develop a style real quickly. And we already know the type of style he'll play, but he'll find players to pick, you know, basically be able to play in those positions, but he will try his best to essentially make sure that his players aren't exploited for those weaknesses. And I think that's the difference from a, a top class manager and a, a person that's still learning on the job. And I mean, even on top of that, like for McFred or McSauce, I would say, <laughs> you know, that kind of kind of combo. Antonio Conte would also kind of bring in a different kind of formation and set where, you know, when you see Oligon and Sochar, you always see like a four, two, three, one. Yeah. Like that's his default. It's like whenever who which players he has, it's like, yeah, all right, always gonna, gonna four, play two, three, it. one. And Antonio Conte, he's usually a three in the back kind of manager. It's yeah. going to be like a 3-4-3, three, 3-5-2, three, three, and it always works. And if you look at the Manchester United squad, it is very much like that Chelsea situation where it's like, I don't know if they have three center backs, let alone two, <laughs> that, that are world class enough to even like, you know, s- sustain like a three in the back. Because, you know, probably Varane would be a good pick. And then I don't know if Harry Maguire will be used to something like that, but... And then the third player is like, who, who's it going to be? Lindelof, Bailly, Bill Jones from the grave. Maybe, maybe play Luke Shaw as a left center back like he did with England. Like oh, during right. the World Ooh. Cup. Well, I believe, no, not the World Cup, but he played a couple of times in a back three. Or at least um, Garrett Saka, he put like Kyle Walker, I believe, as a right center back. Yeah, as a right center back. Yeah. That was like a FIFA play. Yeah. <laughs> Just put Ace in the back. Yeah. But, you I know. Mean, I think Conte co- did that with uh, Aspilicueta, right? Wasn't he like a center mm-hmm. back? Yeah. Yeah, Aspilicueta was also a center back converted from right back. Mm-hmm. And that was something that we saw from Conte. And we probably will see something like that because, you know, I think certain players like Aaron Wamasaku probably will play right wing back. But for Luke Shaw, I don't know. He's also too good enough to like send in the crosses to play just center back. But I mean, these kind of tactical ideas, these kind of experiments wouldn't even be talked about if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was still manager. Like these kind of ideas and these kind of risks are something that would be a Conte level move. Mm-hmm. And also these kind of new tactics would maybe bring out abilities from players that you wouldn't really see before because like they never really tried it. Yeah. So maybe you might see a player off the bench get a lot more starts than usual. Like maybe Messi Lingard will finally get Donny a spot in the starting 11. Yeah, but Donny van de Beek come through maybe bruno fernandez won't be playing cam maybe he'll be playing cdm or like something like that yeah like he would in fifa (laughs) (laughs) and then maybe it won't just be one striker up top maybe we'll start seeing two strikers yeah like you never know so i feel like for me personally i think conte would be a really good choice as a liverpool fan and then as I know, a lot of other supporters, <laughs> other yeah, rival fans say, is like, don't, <laughs> don't let like, keep, so sure. <laughs> keep him, keep him forever. But for the sake of Manchester United's success, I think Conte would be a pretty good, quote unquote, new bridge coach that could help bring out 
success and also be like a win now kind of manager with mm-hmm. the tools and players that he does have if he were to be a manager because you know we've seen him at you know Inter Milan win the title which yeah, is he like, the like first broke time. the title for like Juventus like he started yeah. the streak with Juventus then broke it with Inter Milan which is just like <laughs> this was like a Juventus that had Cristiano Ronaldo too like they just mm-hmm. that's crazy Dybala yeah and all them but he did it with Inter Milan and then he's also brought so much success to of course Juventus Chelsea the Italian national team so he's basically found success with his own kind of tactics wherever he's been yeah always been like the three in the back but with Manchester United it's like how do you not succeed if you're Antonio Conte with Ronaldo Bruno yeah. Fernandez like the he has like some of the re- best players in the world Mm-hmm. And like so, some of the best young players too, some of the up and coming, like Jaden Sancho, Mason Greenwood, like Rashford will be turning 24, but he's still, you know, yet to hit like his peak prime yet. So you still have a lot of talent everywhere across that squad. And they still have time. Yeah. Like they're still just eighth in the league, which is, you know, pretty far from the top four, but it's not impossible. Yeah. If you go on a run. And also, they're still. That's in where Champions Chelsea League. were, right? I think Chelsea were like straight up mid table. Then Tuchel went on a crazy run to get him in the top four, and then yeah. they win the Champions League. And I mean, granted, Tuchel did inherit them after they got out of the group stages, but I mean, even then, that was also that makes it even harder for Tuchel, in my opinion. Where yeah. it's like, all right, less time. Yeah, less time, and also it's like, all right, you have a lot of pressure now. Like, don't don't mess this up. It's like <laughs> we got all, we got out of the group stages. We're here, but. For Conte, I think this is almost a no-brainer in terms of just who could come in, especially who's available right now yeah. as, as well. So it's just like, what other managers going to Like Zidane is the only other high-profile manager that's available. It looks like his heart is like more set to like uh, eventually managing the French national team. Like That's where he wants to really manage like the French national team is like his go-to gig or like mm-hmm. the gig he wants. But Conte also has have does have that Premier League experience too, and I feel yeah. like that'd be key. And if anything, they do need that solidified defense, and I feel like Conte would also bring that. So yeah, yeah every all roads are pointing to Conte. Yeah, but, Antonio Conte, the the man who regrew his hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny too because I think um, there's been a lot of parallels. Like I said this initially when the reports were coming out that I didn't want him because he was like Jose Mourinho 2.0 um, because they're if you ask like most people, they'll kind of point to like, oh, he's just Jose Mourinho, another version of him. Um, but I was listening to a podcast of someone that has followed Antonio Conte throughout his entire career uh, or managerial career, and especially during his career at Serie A. And a lot of the things that Jose Mourinho has been notorious for, essentially leaving the club in a bad state, leaving the club in a very toxic you know, atmosphere, calling players out, singling them out, are a lot of things that Antonio Conte doesn't do. Um, yeah, he may ruffle the feathers with some players and that happens with any manager, but um, it's interesting. If you look at the clubs he's been at and after he's left, those clubs haven't had a really big drop-off in terms of like how well they perform or how you know how consistent they are. You look at Juventus when he left, Allegri took over and took them to the Champions League final and you know went on that huge run. After he left Chelsea, yeah, Chelsea kind of made a mistake of ha- of hiring Maurizio Sarri, but he was like the hottest manager on the market um, with his Napoli side, so you couldn't really blame them. But um, after Inter Milan, uh, the new Inter Milan bosses come in, and even after selling the likes of Lukaku, Hakimi, and some other big players, they're still, I think, second or third place in Serie A, and they're still performing well. They re-signed Lautaro Martinez. So that narrative, I would say that... 
Conte leaves the club in a bad state like Jose Mourinho, I don't think that, I guess like looking at it now, I don't think that's necessarily true. I do think that he is not a manager that's going to stay here long term. He's definitely probably only going to be here if we do hire him at max two seasons or maybe you get a third season out of him. But he's definitely been notorious for like coming in, putting in his game plan, winning a trophy and then zooming out. Um, And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think uh, United fans will have to kind of come to glimpse that, okay, if we hire him, it's going to be a really short term Let's get the results we need and then move on from there. Um, because the other manager that has kind of been thrown out there is Eric Tahong, um, who is currently the Ajax boss, who was basically, if you don't know anything about him, he was the Ajax manager that led uh, Ajax to the Champions League semifinal all the way back in 2019. Um, that famous one where they ultimately lost against Tottenham, but that was the one that caught everyone by surprise. That was the side that had Frankie de Jong, Donny van de Beek, Hakim Ziyech, Dusan Tadic, uh, Mateus de Litt, Daily Blind, all those like big players that are now at big clubs now, the, those guys were all on that squad and Tahong was the manager during that time. And, you know, he's 51 years old now. He's kind of like, I think a lot of people are seeing him like, oh, he'd be like the prototypical like long-term manager because the way he plays is like the United way of, you know, attacking football, you know, beautiful total football, like, you know, the Dutch style. But um, I don't think he's going to leave Ajax in the middle of the season. And it would be one of those where if United do hire him, they'll probably have to stick out with Solskjaer till the end of the season. But I don't think they can risk doing that. I think, unfortunately, I wouldn't mind Conte. Like, the more I look at it, I think Conte would be a really good move because I think, honestly, a lot of these players do need kind of a kick uh, of, like, I don't know, just they need to have some sort of accountability behind them. And I think Conte uh, will give that because I don't think Conte will allow a lot of these players to slide in terms of uh, walking around the pitch you know, being lackadaisical, you know, if some of the players out of form, I don't think Conte will be or think twice about dropping them and putting someone else in. So I think that squad right now needs someone of like a Antonio Conte's uh, mentality. And I don't think his mentality is wrong because if you look at Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Thomas Tuchel, they have the same mentality. They want to win. And by doing that, you have to make those tough decisions and you can't play buddy-buddy all the time. And I think... That's what separates a, a great manager from an okay manager. Mm-hmm. And I would say Antonio Conte would bring that, like, you know, like the fire under the behinds. Because <laughs> if you've seen in the past, his sideline antics at times. Yeah, like, like if know, he scores like, a goal, like, it's like his, like, it feels like he scored, like, his last goal of his life. I know. <laughs> or if, you know, something goes against him, he's literally punting a water bottle into the crowd, <laughs> like, getting sent off <laughs> the pitch. So that'd be, like, kind of the opposite of, Oligon is Solskjaer, where, you know, Oligon is a lot more of a reserved kind of manager, kind of sits in the bench, mm-hmm. kind of dug out and kind of just watches from afar. Yeah. And, you know, Conte in the meanwhile is going to be like shouting some random Italian stuff. <laughs> 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 Everyone's like, what was he saying? But it's like, you just know it's, he's a very passionate manager. It's just, yeah. and, and, you know, Eric Tahong, Tahong, I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> it's spelled Tenhang. So, yeah. Dutch. <laughs> but it's Dutch. I feel like that'd be more of a project low key in itself too. Cause we've seen historically certain <laughs> IX managers leave the club and then join other teams like uh, De Boer or uh, Peter Boas. And I feel like they need a lot more time and a lot more of this foundational structure that IX has that aren't in other clubs Yeah, where it's like, they have this kind of funnel of players that literally have been taught how to play a certain way, the IX way since they're kids. True. Yeah. They're now in the first team playing in the Eredivisie and Champions League where it's like, all right, they know at the back of their heads they can play the certain kind of style. 
and they can rely on it. But when they go to like Crystal Palace or go to, you know, even in Dortmund, it doesn't work out because yeah. it's like, all right, we're going to play Ajax style. And then everyone's like, what's that? <laughs> unless you're, <laughs> unless you're Donnie van de Vake, then you're the only player that knows what's going on. Yeah. And they don't really have that time. Like Ronaldo is not going to be there another 10 years. Not yeah. Tom Brady. I mean, he could be low key based on his kind of physique and his lifestyle as well. But I don't think uh, he's going to be the same. So I think they really do need that win now kind of manager. I'm, I'm kind of convincing you, Yosh. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could Conte. make the decision. But yeah. I guess the, the shocking part is like we are recording this on October 28th and the United board didn't make a decision. Apparently, all the reports are that Solskjaer has the next three games to kind of save his job. And I've always never understood that like that testament or that statement from a board because when you're saying that you're essentially saying that yeah we don't think this guy is it but we're too afraid to make the decision so we're just going to put this kind of clouded statement out there to kind of protect ourselves if anything goes wrong but I don't know I I just don't see any other board dealing with this let's say you know if Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola lose like this, it's okay because it's like a one-off. Like you, they would never do this like ever consistently. But if you're a manager like Solskjaer, Lampard, or if you're a Brendan Rodgers when he's at Liverpool, when you're if you lose to your biggest rival five nil and like get completely humiliated, uh, humiliated um, at home too, I, it's just baffling how the board just can't make that decision. And I think that's what separates right now from Chelsea and Manchester United was just Chelsea with Roman Abramovich. He is not afraid to make that sharp move, even if it was a club legend to let him go and bring in a top quality manager. And unfortunately that's kind of been the crux is, is that the United board, as long as they're making money, it's just, it's hard for them to really care about what's going on in the, like the top, like the Glazers, like it's unfortunately that's just what it is. It's, it's really hard for them to care if, as long as they're getting like the paycheck at the end of the day and bringing in money. Um, so I don't know. I hope, you know, I, I'm going to just continue to root for Manchester United. I hope they win. But, you know, ultimately if Solskjaer does win this weekend and he saves his job for like the end of the season, it's just going to be the same mediocre Manchester United. That's essentially struggling uh, to put up consistent performances. So, I think they need to like make the change, but I don't know if anybody on that board is willing to make that tough call and live with it. Maybe someone should tell the Glaziers that, you know, you get a little bit more money if you start winning. Things. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just you get a little bit more prize money, but also at the same time they brought in or if, you know, Sochar, if he was part of the decision to bring in Ronaldo, that was one of the best decisions ever because Ronaldo keeps saving his job. <laughs> it's like you see memes of like other players kind of upset after he scores. It's just like, they're trying to do their best to get him out by having a bad result. And then Ronaldo just keeps saving mm-hmm. <laughs> Solskjaer's reign at Manchester United. But you mean, even against Liverpool, he couldn't do it yeah. himself. So, And I, I will say that um, Tyler and I were talking, I guess, off uh, like before recording. And we did mention that a lot of clubs do tend to hire managers during the international break. So they have a little bit more time to get settled in. So they don't just jump straight into a match. So maybe... There, we do have an upcoming national break coming up in November. So maybe United holds out till then, pulls the plug, and then hires Conte. Um, but, you know, we don't know. We we saw Barcelona. Barcelona wanted to keep Coleman until the end of the season and then hire uh, Xavi, which looks like the per- replacement or someone else. But the performances were so bad that they just had to pull the plug now and call it a day. And I think with Manchester United, I think uh, 
that uh, unfortunately could be the case. That's insane. <laughs> no, don't don't pick up Komen, whatever you do. Gosh yeah, dang. do not. No, no, not him. <laughs> that is not him. That is not the move. It's neither is Louis Van Hall right now. I'm not gonna lie. So <laughs> don't don't get desperate. Like we have the answer. If and even as a Liverpool fan right now, I'm like, don't make the same mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> the Glazers are listening to the pod. Yeah, it's like he's right there, Antonio Conte, like the best manager available. He's there and he's willing to take over, but can they make the move to to mm-hmm. do it? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But we'll just to see. Yeah, that unfortunately is like the kind of the crux of it. And I, I was going to quickly mention real quickly, if he does stay, I think Solskjaer needs to get back to what he was doing last season. He needs to figure out Bruno Fernandez's positioning. Um, I, I think like in this day and age, it's just hard for Bruno Fernandez just to, just to play as a 10 and have this freedom to do whatever because he's leaving his midfielders and his teammates too exposed um, in the midfield or in the middle of the park. Um, he has to figure out a way to get the Maguire and Shaw to play like they were last season. Um, if not, you have to drop them and play different players. And, you know, we just got to find a way to get this team defensively solid because we're just leaking too many chances. And if you keep doing that, we're just not going to win anything. But we'll, we'll see what happens. And I wanted to quickly mention, I guess before we get into our preview, that it looks like, um, unfortunately, the title race has now turned into a three-horse title race into a four-horse. It's just Manchester City, Chelsea, and Liverpool – they have separated themselves from the rest of the crop when it comes to the Premier League. So it's going to be exciting nonetheless with those three teams. But maybe if United make a change, maybe they can make a late run. But it's looking unlikely at this point. I think Manchester United can still go for Champions League spots. But for the title, at least, I mean, there are almost like eight, nine points. Let me see. Let me look I, I believe it's eight cool. points off the top. Yeah, they're eight points behind. Which it's not too bad, but, you but it's just, hard. Now it's, like you it's, can't like you can't expect City, Chelsea, and Liverpool to lose like four games or something mm-hmm. like that. So the the hard part is just it's not in their destiny. Like it, it's not in their hands <laughs> to kind yeah. of challenge the title. It's very much up to the results and how the other three teams in this title race kind of perform. And hopefully they they don't do as well. But as a Liverpool fan, I'm like, of course, Liverpool, please win. But <laughs> Like, that's the hard part for Manchester United. It's not in their control anymore. It's mm-hmm. very much up to everyone else. Whoever upsets them. Yeah, <laughs> everyone else. So that's oh. the that's how the cookie crumbles. Yeah. Do be like, it do be like that, as, a, as they say. Which <laughs> is unfortunate. Like but it is, it is what it is. And I think Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City will make a really good title race. Hopefully, we all three of them stay in it because that just makes it more fun for everyone else watching it. Um, it's just like a you know, outside fan, but yeah, it'll be a three horse title race, but I, I guess I wanted to just jump into the preview cause we're running at 58 minutes now. It's been a long one talking about United ranting about them, but uh, we actually have some really good matchups this weekend. Uh, first we have Leicester city versus Arsenal. If you didn't know, I think Arsenal on like in a 10 game unbeaten run uh, mm-hmm. um, in all competitions, they started off the season with three straight L's and they are in the same league position as Manchester United right now. And honestly, they could leapfrog them if they win or draw here. They look really defensively solid. I think they kept, I think, three or four or five clean sheets in a row um, or something along those lines in the all competitions or they just haven't conceded a lot. So they look really solid. Leicester City are doing decently well. Um, I think they got a little bit of bounce back form beating Manchester United, but uh, I'm actually, I'm going to back Arsenal. I think Arsenal could win this game 2-1. I think Arsenal look really solid right now and they're, at, uh, they're playing some really good football and I think, you know, ride the hot team. So I'm going to go Arsenal. Hmm, okay. 
I would say for Arsenal, you're right. They're after that 5-0 whooping from Manchester City, they've been on an undefeated streak. So it's been eight games and they haven't been defeated. And within those, they do they do have a few clean sheets, but they haven't really conceded, you know, five anymore. It's just like one or two. And they've been a lot more solid with that whole kind of shift into just playing the youth and kind of just banking on that. And it's kind of working out for them. Whereas for Leicester, you know, they've had some decent results in the past few games where, you know, the the 4-2 against Manchester United and then the, the 3-4 result against Spartak Moscow, which we didn't talk about that was in the Europa League, but they're kind of getting big results. And it's yeah. kind of like pretty close games. But with the momentum that Arsenal have now and kind of the sporadic nature of just Leicester, and they haven't really been as solid as previous seasons, I would say, this mm-hmm. Leicester City side where it's like, they're kind of surprisingly good. Whereas maybe this season they have expectations, which is, you know, the, the hardest thing to kind of overcome at times. I think Arsenal will win, but it'll be pretty close. I think it'll be a 2-1. Ooh, 2-1 as well. So they go into the KP and beat uh, beat Leicester. We're both predicting that. And then we have Liverpool-Brighton. Um, Brighton have low-key been really good. I think they're actually above Manchester United right now on the table. I think they're yeah, in fifth, fifth or sixth. Um, mm-hmm. They've been really solid. They've been a tough play for any team, whether it's Arsenal, any of the big boys have struggled against Brighton. Um, that's because Graham Potter sets his side up well. They play really good attacking football, and they're not afraid to go after it, no matter who the opponent is. And you know, Brighton did upset Liverpool actually in Anfield last season. I think they ended the like they ended the streak right of like their unbeaten streak at Anfield. That was Watford. That oh. was. Yeah, it was. Sad, or the, I'm talking about the home streak. Oh, the home streak. Yeah, because I remember didn't Brighton beat them. I don't remember actually. Maybe it was Last just season. too sad for me to yeah. remember, and then but just kind of blocked it out. <laughs> I think you know Liverpool are in great form right now. Salah, I, I don't think they will lose, um, but I do think um, I do think Brighton could sneak in a goal. So I'm actually going to go three one. Mm. Liverpool. Brighton's win. been the very sneaky team this season. Where it's like <laughs> we haven't really. I, I'm not gonna lie, we haven't talked about them at all almost yeah. this whole season. Like they're fifth right now, for for Arsenal. I, you know, we get the most chatter in our ears because, you know, we, we're friends of a lot of Arsenal fans. So, like, you know, you go to soccer and then Enrique, <laughs> our good <laughs> friends, like, they haven't been meeting yet for like a few weeks. It's like, hey, you're right. Yeah, we should probably mention that. And then, like, we don't have any Brighton fans kind of pointing out. It's like, yeah, we're top five. Let's go. <laughs> so, I feel like Brighton at the same time, they got a little lucky with their schedule because it hasn't been too difficult in the beginning of the season. You know, they faced Man City, you know, lost, tied against Arsenal. But I think once they start getting into like the upper half of the table in terms of facing those teams, they'll it'll probably go back to equilibrium in terms of like where they probably should be, which is like maybe a little bit below mid table, kind of challenging to not get relegated. I think this will be one of those humbling games where it's like, all right, it's time to bring them back to the medium. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it'll be a, a three nil. I don't think they're going to score. I don't. I don't see it. Liverpool's defense is too good. Mm. All right. Yeah. I. I just think like. Uh, I, I like the way Brighton play, so I think they could like get a sneaky goal in once the game is kind of over and done with. But um, I definitely could see a clean sheet for another clean sheet for Liverpool because they have been really solid. And then finally, the big game is Tottenham versus Manchester United. The El Sac, uh, El Sac Clasico, or. I'm trying to come up with the name. There was a name that was been floating around. Basically, Nuno and Oligano Solskjaer are both on hot seats right now. And it's like, whoever loses this game is going to get sacked. Um, this game has like lost all of its luster and appeal. Um, this will be played you know, in Tottenham's home ground. It's, 
I, I don't know what to expect. I Obviously, I'm going to root for Manchester United, but I think the way they've been just so open this entire season, I just think Harry Kane, Hyunmin Son, Lucas Mora, um, all those players will have like a field day just exploiting those play, those spaces. But I don't know. I hope that Solskjaer and the training, like in the training ground or just like the, the, the staff have really um, – try something different or maybe revert to some of the tactics they used last season that was helping them win games um, because they just can't roll out the same team that played against Liverpool and expect to win because it's not going to happen. So I don't know. I It's hard to predict a win for either side, but I think like what's more realistic is probably a 2-2 because I just think two, both these teams are just coming in, in like really awful form, especially Manchester United and I don't know. I, I just don't see a win, but I also don't. I, I could see a loss, but I, I see a draw as more likely, like a two-two. This is a little sad to see. If you're on the video, everything is in the sadness and Yesh's eyes. It's just like all hope uh, is gone. All hope is gone. <laughs> it's just like which team is going to do least worse in this result, and then that that's basically what will happen. But I don't. I don't know. I keep saying Ronaldo's not going to let bad results happen. I keep thinking that because it's like he's too good to let things like, and also just the team in general is just too good to let those kind of results happen. Where you know Tottenham, they're kind of made to you know disappoint their their fans, <laughs> so it's not really too kind of uh, too surprising to see. Mm-hmm. But geez, both of these teams right now kind of in the rut, and usually when we see something like that, it would be a draw. So I, I would want to say two two just because just defensively both teams aren't really the greatest, but also just finishing wise. They're also not really doing the greatest as well in certain big games. So I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to say 1-1. One, one. Oh, okay. 1-1. One, one. I'm going 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this game plays out. You know, I think there's actually, there's like a like some United fans that are actually calling United to lose this game so Solskjaer can lose his job and they get Conte. But I'm not going to go that far i never wouldn't want to like root for my team to lose i think that's just like the wrong attitude but unless you're in the nfl <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you can get a number you get one a draft, draft pick, pick. <laughs> yeah but it's just uh it's a it's a tough time right now in manchester United. and i think this this whole episode I, i'm sure you just like felt the mood it's just all a bit sour right now at united um maybe conte comes in by the time we record our next episode never know mm. i but, was saying like with one of my other friends i was like man this it's a big blowout. And then I was saying, I was like, my friend on the podcast I do this with, he's a big Manchester United fan. I'm expecting a, a long episode about this, <laughs> a long rant. And oh. I was like, don't worry, it'll, it'll be good. Yeah. And I mean, sure enough, this is very, like a very cathartic experience for Yosh, I assume. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, you can go back to old episodes. I've been on like United rants ever since we started this podcast. This is yeah, like a daily, like we get once a season. <laughs> something once stupid. A season. Something stupid happens once a season. Once a season, like uh, as in like once every fall, winter, spring, yeah. something happens usually. So yeah. uh, it's just one of those times. Yeah. It's one of those the October months. It's not being too kind for United, but um, I, will, I will say, Yash, <laughs> there's only up from here because yeah. I mean, can <laughs> so it get worse? It could get worse, but you never know. <laughs> it actually could, but you know, yeah, let's, we'll be positive. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, well, I'll keep that attitude. It only gets better from here. But yeah, that kind of wraps up um, episode 129 for us. As we always say, you can give us a follow at the Premier Pod on Twitter and Instagram. 
You can also find the video versions of this podcast on YouTube at the Premier Pod. Um, and also, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, uh, you can leave us a rating and review. It helps us out, gets us boosted, and helps us uh, get uh, seen across more people. But if you want to just share this podcast with someone else that's interested in soccer, that's more than appreciated. And we appreciate any type of support we can get. And yeah, thank you guys once again uh, for listening and sticking with us for this hour of this United rant that we, we went through. And Liverpool, obviously, praising Liverpool, what they did. They did a good job. But uh, United rant of like what's been going wrong at the club. But like we said, um, that kind of wraps up season four, episode 129 of the Premier Pod. Thank you guys again for watching and listening. Thank you guys. Peace. Peace. Peace.